All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. We always start with our charity of choice, Ohio Fish Rescue. So we're going to have these guys in the podcast soon enough. Um, last time I called them for an interview, they were sick on the phone. So now more than ever, they need your support. You know, when you're sick and feeling down, you know, you still have to take care of a massive warehouse of fish. They need motivation. So call them, 216-773-0407. And just, you know, again, like I always say, tell them you love them. But go on their website, ohiofishrescues.com. They have T-shirts and multiple ways to donate using PayPal, GoFundMe, and Patreon. Ohio Fish Rescues, the place to rescue your fish. That is correct. And send them some love. Send them some money. Send them some cold medicine because obviously they're not feeling well. But uh, we wish them the best, and we'll talk to them soon. All right, let's kick that podcast. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Good evening, everybody. It's the Aquarium Pod Guys here at you, talking to you live from Studio B. B stands for basement. We're coming from the basement live in Perm, Minnesota, and today we've got a very special guest, actually a friend of mine, Julie Filto, who is a person that has been with Secrets Farms her entire life, darn near. Hey, Julie, how's it going? It's going pretty good. We appreciate you having on, Julie. We're going to uh, do an interview with you, and again, utilizing your background, but how many years have you been in the industry? In the industry? In the industry. In the industry. Um, professionally. We'll get, we'll get into personally later. Okay. Professionally, 35 years. Holy crap. Well, you're, well, you're, you're lying to me because you can't be that old. I'm unfortunately 51 years old. Holy crap. Wow. Talk about a great internship. She's four years serious. younger than me. Man, I feel like I rob in the cradle here. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so again... I'm your host, Rob Zolson. This is Jim Colby. Hey, everybody. And we have Adam Nashar. I hope I pronounced that right. El Nashar. El Nashar. El Nashar, yeah. I'm going to hey get guys. that right. We're going to do a little cleanup. Again, we've been getting a lot more of your feedback, and with the, the podcasts are blowing up. So Blowing th- up. Thank you guys for your support. Please keep telling your friends. If one of these podcasts, we try to do podcasts that are um, more or less evergreen. They're not really news-based, so they can use anytime. So if you're looking for some after-the-fact facts, we try to keep this uh, informational, so it's topic-based. Last week, we did a podcast that's getting uh, getting a lot of feedback. It's uh, how to start your tank for a beginner. So certainly check that out. It's a great resource, and... Uh, we, we did get an update. Mr. Pickles, so far, is, uh, is doing well at the tank. He tried sand, but he got some uh, bad sand, so he's going to go get some better sand. Some better sand for Mr. Pickles. But Mr. Pickles is a gentleman that got a hold of us. He's from Canada, 16 years old. He's brand new in the aquarium trade, and we are here to help people. We want people to succeed, because if they don't succeed, then our hobby is going to be gone. So there's a couple ways of going about that. You can go to our website, Aquarium Guys Podcast, and on the bottom of the website, you'll see a contact us link or call us with your questions. Contact us will have the email address or, again, the telephone number is 218-214-9214. Call us, leave us a message, and we'll probably even play you right on the show. 
Exactly. If you leave your message on the show, that usually gives us permission to put it on, but we will verify with you before we do that. Now, let's say there's something that's terrible going on, like, oh, I don't know what's happening. My fish is sick. I need help now. We're also having a link in the bottom of the website for our Discord. Discord is an application you can use to chat us directly and it pops up on our phones or even communicate us via voice this is actually where we record our podcast is right on discord so come and join the fun links in the bottom of the web uh, website aquariumguyspodcast.com all right so let's just start into the interview julie let's let's understand a little bit more about yourself so you're, you live in florida you're an avid yeah. fish enthusiast and clearly you have massive amounts of experience and you currently work as correct me on this um one of the leads of the sales in seagrass is that correct yes fantastic so you know how when did you start in the hobby altogether was it just uh part of the job or were you doing aquariums before that well like most people in the hobby when i was a kid it was zebra dandios and pink kissers but um, I really got into it when my mother married my stepfather and he owned a fish farm when I was about oh, 12, 13 years old. And that really kicked off. So what was your first aquarium, if you can remember? <laughs> Actually, my brother and I had an aquarium where we used to go through the canals and ditches where we lived. And we collect gambusia and crawfish and any other little things swimming around and see if we could get it to live. Fantastic. So just so we uh, have a, a theme of the podcast, our goal of interviewing you is not just learn a bit more about you, but also the topic of the podcast is learning about distribution. We gave them a podcast uh, of a high-level overview of the industry, but we really want to talk mm -hmm. about you know how really big distribution happens and who better to talk to than one of the most you know senior people at Seagrass Farms, which is it the largest in North America distribution of uh, tropical fish? As far as I know, yes, it is. It's the largest under one roof. Awesome. Because I think there's a couple larger saltwater facilities, but all together under one roof, I think we got it. Perfect. So you started at uh, age 12 to 13. You caught fish out of uh, Florida. You still live in Florida and work at Seagrass. So what does a day in your life look like? Pretty busy, actually. Um, I actually, for a few years, lived in North Alabama. I went to high school and college. I have a degree as a paralegal. But I moved back to Florida and have been doing fish ever since. And the one thing that keeps me in it is you always learn something new. Like every day, there's a new fish, a new something, or helping somebody, a pet store, get further along in the business. Or like you were saying in your intro, helping hobbyists be successful. Awesome. You, again, being head of sales at Seagrass, Seagrass is wholesale only, so they're actually distributors to either other people like uh, um, wholesalers directly to uh, middlemen that say, take fish, make sure they're uh, properly taken care of after the um, plant leaves and distribution to the pet stores or direct to pet stores. So uh -huh. how many uh, customers do you deal with on a regular basis? Well, on average, I take about 85, 95 orders a week, and that, most of my customers don't order every week, so I've got a customer base, just me personally, of over 300. Wow. We have five salespeople in the office. I've been there the longest. I've been with Seagrass for 30 years. Two other salespeople have been there over 10 years, and then we've got three, what I call newbies. They've been there, two of them two years, and one of them three years. 
Now, just to give a little background for the listeners, I uh, had the opportunity to go with Jimmy to Florida and get a tour of Seagrass Farms, and you guys have a massive facility that uh, handles all types of different fish in different circumstances. You guys have state-of-the-art uh, filtration systems, and the amount, uh, this is the diversity, because you assume that all these uh, different farms, you know, they only handle a few different types. The sheer diversity that you guys have in one building is blew me away. So you can just, (laughs) you walk in, it's, it's not about, um, how many different varieties of, uh, you know, fish. It's about, you know, how many subspecies of the same fish, Uh, just your Placo list alone is extremely impressive. So I think one of the more unique things that you guys do is anybody can, uh, you know, wholesale or try to uh, work with the harms directly, but it's so much volume. So if you're a store and you're only looking for a dozen fish, it's there's not a lot of options out there for you to do that, much less is it cost effective to get that shipped. So right. you guys really adapt to essentially fill a box for a pet store of a bunch of different varieties and put, you know, six or 12 in a bag of each type of variety and ship that out to stores, making it more feasible to have a larger selection without having to take care of the bulk. Right. It, in doing that, seasonally, you know, what types of uh, oh, fish do you uh, do you see going through? Like... I know uh, you have a massive selection of different discus. In fact, uh, I think you have an entire discus wall. So how many varieties would you have just of discus as an example? I think right now we've got 25. And how many different suppliers does that come from, Julie? I mean, I know you you have so many different suppliers Uh, from all over the world. Yeah, we have one main supplier that does uh, pretty much what I call the bread and butter ones, like your red marbles, your pigeon bloods. Then we have three vendors that supply us with wild discus and um we also get a german strain so we've got about five vendors and that's just discus alone that's just discus alone i mean i i know that i've spent a lot of time at secrets farms over the years and probably been there a dozen times um you got to be careful like get ran over by ups trucks and delivery trucks as constant motion in that place 24 7 uh, how many yeah. how many boxes of fish are shipped out of that of that facility on a given day? I'm not sure about like a box count. Um, right now it's our slow season, and our day crew is doing seven thousand bags of fish. Our night crew is doing about twenty five hundred. Holy cow! That is a lot of fish, and uh, that's a fish factory. Fish factory. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, it moves kind of like a factory. And explain to people like like um, I've been buying from you for over twenty years. And I, I've sat and watched my own shipment being being picked when I've been there, and actually it's it's beat me home by about four hours one time. But tell, explain to people like um, the different colors of buckets to keep all the different uh, customers straight. Well, the way the way the ordering works um, is, of course, you place your order with a salesperson. We put it into computers. The computers spit out what's called picking tickets, and the picking tickets are organized by packouts. Packouts are either organized by UPS, UPS Saver, airlines, or our delivery trucks, depending upon which crew packs them and in what order. Um, then they're also color-coded, so the when the pickers pick the order, they have to use a certain color bucket, like white, red, blue, yellow. Uh, we actually have eight colors now. And when they get the picking ticket, they actually have to sign on it just say which fish they're picking. They get a label, put it on their arm. They go to the aquarium, pick the fish, put it in the bucket with... The buckets actually have a medicated and tranquilized water to help the fish 
um, during shipping. And then they put the fish on our conveyor belts, which take them to our bagging crew. The bagging crew actually has been there the longest period of time. Most of those girls have been there over five years. Um, they can look at the fish, make sure they're good and healthy, uh, put them in the bag, they put them in oxygen, and then they tip or tie them shut and put that label on the bag. They then go down another set of rollers to our checkers who have detailed sheets of the orders so they can check the order with the bags of fish to make sure the right fish go in the right boxes before they're sealed up. And I can say that they're really really darn accurate because for over 20 years I've been buying from Secrets Farms and I can count on one hand how many times that the count has been off by one or two fish and they are very accurate in what they do and they do a great job. Yeah, you always cross your fingers when you get fish in like, come on, did I get a couple extra? Yeah, a couple extra please. Come on. But no, they're pretty accurate. <laughs> no. Yeah. So going through Sorry. your... <laughs> Sorry. Now we're going to get extra fish. Sorry, yeah, exactly. Look at that. <laughs> we're going to get dog doo-doo in a bag. Yep, thanks, thanks, guys. <laughs> hey, now, we have been known to send rosy reds out with our puffers, so, you know. There you go. Okay. You know, I, I was just talking to Adam last week uh, when we were off off podcast, and I used to get um, a lot of feeder guppies from you guys, and still do, and every once in a while there'd be freshwater pipefish in there. And how does that, mm-hmm. how does that end up in there? That's, it's kind of weird because... They usually come in with a ghost shrimp, and our ghost shrimp and guppies are kept kind of in the same system, so that's how the pipefish usually pop over to the guppy tanks. But when they collect ghost shrimp, those are not always collected from ponds because it's a feeder item. Nobody wants to spend the money raising it when they can use a pond to make money off of. So they'll go out to estuaries where it's like brackish water, that's mostly fresh, and they'll sane for the ghost shrimp, and you'll get the pipefish, you'll get gobies, you'll get all kinds of cool little things in there. Yeah, I've grabbed those out of there every time and kept them as long as I could. I just love them. Yeah, they're cool. You should put them on the lists because I'd buy more. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have Julie go back there and hand uh, hand grab you some pipefish. Yeah, there you go. I doubt that she'll do that. Oh, Julie, no, Ju- actually, Julie, I Julie have loves done us. That. Yeah, Julie does a lot of that for me, actually, on a weekly basis, almost. When I, if I see something uh, out of the ordinary, something that I want to try to breed, then she will go back there and grab me. I, for two months, I had her back there grabbing rams. For another month, I had her back there grabbing different goldfish from my wife's tank. And yeah, so no, Julie, mm-hmm. Julie does that stuff. So well, that's good. Well, that's <laughs> the fun part of it. We'll get you some pipefish. We promise. Yeah. Okay. So, there you go. What I like to do is. Um, in old cartoons, they were trying to get kids more engaged, and they have this thing called the bouncing ball. So if there's a sing-along song, the kids didn't know the w- words. The ball would show the rhythm of the song. So what I want to do is show the bouncing ball of fish in Seagrass. So number one, Seagrass is located directly in the heart of, you know, Fish Farm Central in Florida. Yeah, they're all around her. So you have all these collective of farms. You have co-ops of farms, and they farm and bring in two Seagrass to sell directly to Seagrass in mass quantity. So Seagrass has to um, divvy up. I mean, what is that process when you guys ingest fish in? It's actually kind of funny. I don't know if I've ever showed you, Jim, but in our building, there's a UPS store, and that's where all the boxes go out of. On the exact opposite side of the building is where everything comes in, and it's also a conveyor belt, and we have farmers just bring bags of fish with their invoices through that door, and they come in buckets, 
And then we have what's called an R&D crew, and they take those fish from the bags and take them to the aquariums they're supposed to go into and float them and medicate them, do whatever needs to be done for us to sell them. And I've noticed many times when I've been in there, you, you've got little, and it, also if you look on online, Secrets Farms has a lot of great, great videos on there. I think Shelby's the one that's usually out there trying to show stuff around on Julie's personal Facebook um, she has stuff, but you'll see where it says use first. And so those fish that come mm. in last will stay there a couple of days and stabilize because it's, it's tough on the fish to keep moving them through so quickly and stuff. So you actually, when you're looking at the fish, there might be 15 tanks of Plecos, but they'll have a little little uh, plastic strip that says use first. And so that's something that they always uh, have been really good about is making sure these fish are in the best shape they possibly can before they ship them out. They're actually also color-coded like the orders going out. Orders coming in every week, we have a different color. So you can look at a glance to see which fish are the oldest and need to go first and which ones are you know, newer and need to hang out and relax for a while. When you get these fish in, again, it's not just coming from farms in, in Florida. Most of them do because that's where the mass quantity of fish do come from. But they also come internationally all over the world from different farms. And some that we cannot really um, get elsewhere do come from other wild locations. So overall, you know, what's your most common areas besides Florida that you get fish in from? Uh, right now, I'd have to say it's probably Taiwan or Asia. Those are probably our two biggest areas that they're getting stuff out of. So there was another project that we saw. It's a, uh, I'm gonna butcher the name. Project Paiba, is that correct? Project, yeah, Piaba. Piaba, and this yeah. project was actually featured in Amazonas Magazine. For those that don't uh, know about it, Amazonas Magazine is the premier freshwater uh, fish magazine, and it's uh, produced bi-monthly. I certainly check it out. It's uh, worth a uh, worth an investment. Jimmy Collette has been collecting them for years. I've got every every uh, every one that they've done. So you guys Same are here. You guys, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing on this, but you guys are working with um, locals in the Amazon to uh, correctly farm and harvest um, species such as you know cardinals, rummy nose tetras, uh, I believe whiptail catfish, maybe some placos, and more ethically uh, find a better way than just destroying habitats to get uh, get fish or to yeah, find other wild part species. Of a, part of a sustainability project that they're doing with farmers and i believe project piaba is the first one they're doing and there are two or three other ones in the works so any details on the other ones can you talk about those yet or not or is that no, under wraps? i'm not allowed to, they haven't really given me a whole lot of information on it yet other than to say that there are more of them in the works because project piaba took off really really well a lot better than we expected and unfortunately they didn't quite have all the kinks worked out of the transportation part of it so that's why they're looking into other areas to do the same thing. Because a lot of these people are from third, third world nations, correct? That you're getting stuff yes. from and stuff. So, so yes. transportation is an issue when you are out in the rainforest. Yes, it's a big issue, especially a lot of these countries like clown loaches are very seasonal. You know that and some of the other fish and it's not like a breeding season. It's a rainy season and they flood and you just can't collect these fish at that time. Once the rivers go over the banks, it's impossible to try to get these fish, and they just swim right. out, swim out into the trees, basically, don't they? Uh mm huh. -hmm. 
So it was certainly a great project. Remember when it uh, first, uh, I believe when it first came out, uh, Jimmy and I both bought uh, a bunch of selection. It was great stock, beautiful colors. But then, you know, again, the su- uh, supply and demand happened, and there wasn't a whole lot, uh, a lot of stock left. So I'm happy to hear that that's uh, not only um, doing better where it's at, but expanding different locations. And I think that was something similar too when you guys kicked off Glowfish. And I, I, I want to point out that you guys spent the money on bringing Glowfish to the nation, basically. What's the story in Glowfish? I'm not really sure about all the details on Glowfish. Um, but them being the, the... I know that the Glowfish, Glow.com or however they are, um, they actually hold the licensing for the Glowfish. And our farms and another wholesaler's farms are the only two that are licensed to sell them. And they've been bought out, so... I know that we're working on new licensing with them. And and I know you and I have had the conversations, Julie. Um, each one of the colors, I mean, there's, there's Glow Daniels, Glow Tetras, now Glow Barbs. And didn't you say that, mm-hmm. that each one has to have, each color of each variety has to have their own paperwork to go through the... Yeah, each color of each variety has to be USDA approved before we can sell them. And so just because the green ones you're selling the green ones right now it doesn't mean you can start selling the red ones until they give you the okay and the licensing right fascinating so again trying to follow the uh, track of uh, fish so now we've gotten fish again from farms all over uh, florida all over the world and you know other wild caught and other from projects so they all come in through your mm-hmm. shipping area and they they unload them uh, again you guys have crazy uh you know systems uh, separate systems for different species like for instance your discus systems completely independent you uh, sounds like you had um, some of your feeder guppies on the same system as ghost shrimp and you know explain a little bit about you know seagrass's uh, uh systems and uh, processes so they come in jimmy was mentioning that they're quarantined for a few days and they have marks of which to use first as they come in um what other uh, processes do they check when fish come in we actually have an ichthyologist on staff that goes through and checks not only the water parameters for each of our systems, and we have, I'm not sure, I think it's 23 systems in just the freshwater building. Um, but he checks all the parameters. He looks at all the fish coming in, and like those use first, second, third stickers, we have hold stickers. If he puts a hold sticker on a fish, nobody's allowed to touch those fish until he releases them. Um, and he will scope them, he'll do a necropsy on them, he'll do all kinds of stuff, and then um, he'll medicate them as needed. And you have a lab right on, on site, correct? Yes, we have a lab on on the property. So essentially, it's an, it's an ichthyologist working there full-time, or is, is there more staff than that just for the treating? No, there is one ichthyologist, but he has three assistants. So you have a lab of four dedicated just to uh, making sure the yes. product is clean and clear as they come in. Yes. That says a lot. It that, really does. That, that's a huge deal. Well, I mean, yeah. you gotta, you got to take that it's one building. Sure, it has separate systems. But if you're getting stuff from all over the world, you have to do your diligence that you're not uh, importing some, you know, 1960s guppy disease. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Just don't go there. Okay, so the fish come in, they're acclimated, they're treated, and generally speaking, you know, uh, how long do fish uh, stay at the facility? Uh, four days? Um, usually our systems, because we run preventative medication through all of them, we don't like for fish to stay any longer than 10 days. 
And so at that at that point, you'd like to try to get them going, and you might, uh, if you're long on them, you probably run them on special or have a blowout sale. Probably. Yeah, that's part of the blowout. Set. Uh, we do blowout specials on Wednesday and Thursday, and that's part of it to get these fish moved out before our systems start breaking them down. Yeah, and that's understandable because you want to make sure that they are uh, going out as healthy as can be. Yes. So. Now we get to the next part where, you know, Jimmy calls in, he has his fish order. You guys send it uh, out certain lists and mm-hmm. you send the fish order through the system. And we got a little bit about, about the, the picking, but um, just to paint a picture, you guys, when we were there, had massive con- uh, conveyor belts and, you know, that mm-hmm. color tagging system. So literally they have to go through 26 different uh, systems just to make a potential one mixed random box for somebody. So. Right. They use, again, colored buckets in a tray. Is that uh, how they put them on the, the conveyor belt? How does the the system exactly get to the end point? No, the, the buckets actually fit right on the conveyor belts. There's little rails, so they stay on there and don't fall off. Uh, some of the fish, like swordtails and platies, the ones that love to jump and try and commit suicide, they actually use shower caps over the top of them so they can't jump out. Um there is a tranquilizer, a mild tranquilizer in the water to help calm them down a little bit to help with the stress of the shipping and handling. And um, there's actually, if you go through the building, you'll see seven what we call boards or podiums. And each board is for two systems of fish or more. And each there's one person or one picker attached to each board. And they go down that and just pull fish off that board all day long. That's all they do. And the thing is, is it would, what people need to know, too, is that you also have a saltwater uh, building room. You also have a cold mm-hmm. water where you keep the feeder fish. You have another area where you keep the fancy goldfish. And so mm-hmm. stuff may be coming from many different buildings, and it's, it's quite a task to try to keep them all straight, I'm sure. Yeah, and there's a plant room also. Oh, I forgot about the plant room. And for years yeah. you guys had reptiles, too, but now you've gotten reptiles... Um, off the premises and, and a different location, but you still offer reptiles. Yes. So uh, on your plant selection, just because we I think we covered uh, at least the, the fish and how they get bagged. So your plants come in, and they come in, uh, again, from local farmers, or where do the plants come in from? Yeah, we have three vendors for plants, um, and they're all local. They're all in Florida. Um, so, yeah, they come in. They're, all of our plants, except for palm plants, are actually kept in a cooler, um, but they don't, they're not there for a week. They're gone in usually three or four days. And that's just because of the extreme heat there that you, that you keep them in the yes. cooler? <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, 95 degree heat and new plants moving around, that doesn't work very well. So, so that's why they're kept in the cooler. Just to give people an idea, we're in Northern Minnesota and right now it's like 35 degrees above zero. What's the temperature there? 87. Bite me. God. <laughs> I hope you sweat tomorrow when you go to work. That's all right. We're gonna we're gonna go down and visit Julie again soon. We will be down there soon again, and we'll have to take her out for dinner. Indeed. We'll let you supersize it if you're extra specially good. <laughs> Through the drive-through. <laughs> Through the drive-through. Hey, Here we go. No, no, we're going to Florida. We got to get grits again. Oh yes, yeah. Yes. We we've uh, got. Educated. Wait, what are grits? Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Explain no. it to Adam. I'm not even gonna go there. This is. Julie, every week we had to explain something to somebody. I have to explain to Robbie what a phone booth was because he's so young. Hey, hey. And, it's and, where oh, Superman right. came out of. That's all I know. And then you got to explain to Adam now what grits are. Go ahead. It's a southern malt oatmeal. That just tastes better. There you go. 
I mean, that, that's, exactly. that's what I got. Seriously, I went to. Okay. The, I, I said this in another podcast, but I go to a Waffle House. You sit down, they give you uh, what was it lemonade you didn't ask for, and you order food, First and they give tea. you grits you didn't ask for. Right. Yep. I'm pretty sure that's because in the South everything has to have grits with it. It's grits, so, Southern comfort, and and sweet tea also, right? I mean, every time yes, I, I go somewhere I with sweet tea in front of me, which I don't really like, but I drink it because I'm scared of the people working there <laughs> at the Waffle House, <laughs> especially if it's late at night. Well, you a lot all right, we, we, we got to put that on our bucket list. But So now I have a lot of uh, um, customers that uh, at pet stores that are looking for different uh, plant options. And you know, generally when I talk to anybody, you always have the risk of snails, no matter where, where you're going to get your plants from. But there's a special variety that I can get from you guys that are essentially free of snails. What was that variety called? It's a tissue culture plant. So just for the viewers, can you uh, describe what makes those different? They're actually grown in like laboratories and they're grown in a gel. They're not grown in soil. So they never, they're never around anything that can give them a disease, give them snails, give them anything. They're pretty much clean. Are they, are they grown underwater or is it, are they grown just in that gel? No, they're grown just in that gel. Okay. So when I get these, but they they do better than like your potted plants that are also not grown totally underwater. A lot of those everybody knows melt back as soon as you put them in the aquarium. The tissue culture plants tend to just keep growing. And how are they compared in price to come uh, to the other plants? Are they a little bit more? They're money? a little bit more money, but um, there's a lot more in them. They look smaller, but if you take and spread them out, because I have a 40 gallon planted tank that it took three packages of tissue cultured plants to do where it would have taken about 15 potted plants so you got for bang for your buck for your money tissue seems to be the way to go yes it is i've ordered both varieties of plants from uh, secrets in the past and these uh, tissue cultures they come in even their own independent packaging they uh, mm-hmm. are much, uh, much cleaner. And uh, again, people that are preparing with snails, I always recommend uh, getting those. So any, uh, any unique uh, things that you're, are particularly uh, your, your personal favorite? Because we always grab, you know, aquarium enthusiast favorite, uh, favorite fish, but it's really hard to, it's really hard to get a picture when you don't, you haven't tried everything. You're one of the few aquarists out there that literally get to see pretty much everything that hits the hobby sometimes you're one of the first that gets to see a new uh, fish introduce or a new species so you know after all these years what are your favorite species julie that that is a tough question i got her my favorite species <laughs> yeah you did. my favorite species Pink though, is kissers. Polypter seals. just because i had um i'm always bringing home fish of course and trying them out and seeing how they do but the polypter seals um, I actually trained to eat out of my hand, so I just had like the best experience with them. It, They're what, just cool. What was that one more time? Polypto seals? Polyptera seals or biker eels, dinosaur eels. Oh, those crazy things. They're pretty Yeah, big. you know the those ones that look like giant, things. like they call them like dinosaur birchers and stuff like that. Or yeah, like biker eels. eels. Little prehistoric. Yeah. 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 They're kind of like rope fish, except shorter, stubbier, and live a lot better. Really? Yes. They definitely get pretty They're, uh, they're pretty tank big. raising them now. There's actually a green, albino, endolitrii, ornithopinus. Um, there's a conjecus. There's a, like 14 different varieties of them. 
And these are all never they range anywhere from six inches to I think the Conjicus is the biggest at three foot. And, and so where are those bred at? Are they bred in the U.S. or are they overseas? No, those are bred overseas. Okay. I've gotten a few in, and I had uh, a customer ask, well, what, what happened to my fish? I'm like, well, what, what do you have? And I have a dinosaur biker, and, oh, that that's what happened. Well, <laughs> they no, my them. other fish are twice yeah. the size. Well, no, they ate them whole, I guarantee it. So he didn't believe me. Yeah. He got a couple extra fish that were bigger than the, the bikers and uh, put a webcam up to it, and sure enough, engulfed whole. People kind don't understand how big mm-hmm. those mouths get, uh, go open. Kind of like red-tailed catfish drops? That's what I was wondering. Yeah, Rob, let's talk about your red-tailed catfish that ate your iguana. Yeah. I think this is where I insert the uh, bite me statement. <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever hear this, yeah. Julie, about, you know, that, that remember that really nice iguana that Rob bought from you? Oh, God, no. Really nice. For, uh, yeah. And it was cheap, too. As well. How much was it, Rob? I don't want to talk 300 about it. 300 bucks? No, no, North. Uh-huh. North is a lot more than that. Like four, $500? It was more than that. More than $500. Anyway, I think there was six... The uh, six seventy five a piece. So Rob buys oh, this fish arowana, which he's in love with, and he puts. Julie loves me. She yeah. uh, she cash in a she, she cash in my favors. Yes, because she knew you had a red tail catfish <laughs> in the same damn tank. The red tail catfish was a rescue. I got him after the fact. He was literally half the size. He swallowed him whole. Swallowed his arowana whole. And uh, oh, I've gotten a lot wow. of uh, fish from uh, from Jim and Julie over the the years, and uh, I'm one of them that was fun. I got to work directly with Julie with was trying to find a white pearl stingray. So for those Ooh. that uh, haven't tried stingrays or researched them uh, before, most species of freshwater stingray are venomous. So they're very docile. They're relatively safe, but still, for your own safety, keep your hands on the tank. Um, do your homework. They're not an easy fish to take care of, but I have the worst luck, right? I'll spend a bunch of money and time and effort finding this sweet piece that no one can find. Julie, Julie's very good at that. So if you're looking for, if you're a pet store and you're looking for that one fish for your customer, um, she'll take some time, hunt for that one particular fish. So I bought this, paid a lot of money for it, got it home, and it was doing well. I had it, uh, you know, going all over the tank. We had... Um, I always try to do research on different species. So I take a 24-inch tongs. I had to buy these special on Amazon, and I would take food pieces, whether it's shrimp or I actually even used tubaflex worms because it was a smaller uh, stingray. And I would push the food in the uh, substrate, and the stingray would dig them out just like they do in nature because, again, they're always bottom feeders looking for crustaceans or something under the sand. And it was super fun because it would dig, find the food, and um, move on. I, of course, would feed it above the sand, but this was, you could say, stimulus for the uh, the creature itself. And one day... What happened, Rob? It choked on a piece of food and died. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he called How? me He called me crying. I watched it choke, but you can't sit there and get the food out of its mouth because it, I'm scared it's venomous. He was feeding some large pieces of shrimp, big pieces of shrimp. No, 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 no. This no? this was, it's just... just it got a piece of uh, wood that it was trying to grab and it was stuck in its mouth. And I can't, I tried to grab the tongs and try to help it out, but nope, she croaked. You couldn't give them Heimlich. Why didn't she go through the gill plate on the bottom and try to pull it up, push it up? Because it was, those are very small slits on a blonde pearl stingray. And uh, uh-huh. it's very sharp barb. So I wasn't about to say, you know, the, be the national news guy, be like, oh, death by stingray in Minnesota. Yeah, in Minnesota. <laughs> no, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't about to happen. So oh, yes. as I as I uh, you know just died inside, my uh, roommate decided to come behind me and say, "Oh, what happened? Oh, my fish just died on a piece of food." 
Like, ah, that's how I expected you to go someday. <laughs> Rob's a big guy. Oh, I was almost in tears, and that's his pep talk for me. So there's oh. the story for those that haven't got it before. So there's another another story of failure on our part. Please learn from this and don't do that. Don't say. I have a that. question. Um, how do you? What do you? What? You're talking about tranquilizers in the bags. How do they oh. know what level of tranquilizer to put in the bags? Because I've gotten like golden piranhas or black piranhas and their bags are just like bright neon red. What do you do for like, do the, does your ichthyologist know the difference of how much to put per bag for say a stingray or cause aren't they more sensitive to the stuff? Yeah, actually our stingrays are, we do not use the tranquilizer on. They can't handle it. Um, and the tranquilizer has basically been a learning curve over the last 30 years, we've had to learn what fish can handle it, what fish can't, what fish get half a dose, um, things along that line. And but all of our aquariums that need different than the packing water are all labeled for the pickers to know which ones get different amounts. What type of uh, tranquilizers do you use? The most common I've seen is uh, clove oils. Is that uh, a lot of the topical? I, uh... I don't. No, they don't give us that, like the medications. I couldn't tell you what kind of medications they use in our systems. A lot of that is a, a kind of a closely guarded secret, isn't it? I mean, I've, yes, I've... Elwin, <laughs> Elwin used to call it, what was it, his super shit? Call it. <laughs> <laughs> and I could tell you it had nitrofurazone and salt in it, but I could not tell you what else it had in it to save my life. And, and if you but did tell worked. us, he'd, he'd kill you. Elwood would. And when she said Elwood, well, she's talking about... He's retired now, and he's out on his yacht somewhere, so I'm not too awful worried about it. He knows his way back to the office. Elwood Seagrist. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, his desk is still there, so yes. Yeah, nobody's going, nobody's going home alive. The secrets get out. So Exactly. To, to try to keep following this, uh, th this process, so you got the fish ordered. Now uh, it's bagged. Let's talk about the shipping process. Uh, there's a little bit more. So... You bag the fish, and I've seen a lot of different ways you guys bag the fish. Uh, number one, you try to do one species per bag. That's a common sense thing. You know, you, know, you only put so many uh, per bag. But, you know, like discus, they easily get stressed. So you guys have special bags with, uh, you could say, black liners to cover up so they don't uh, get a lot of light and they calm down. Um, right. What other methods do you guys uh, use for shipping? Well, there's... Um... In the boxes they go in, it's a styrofoam box inside a cardboard box to help with temperature. Um, and Jim knows this. We also use thick wall boxes, especially coming into the winter because they're double insulated. And I think I've shipped to Jim in, what, negative 10 degrees and the fish have still come in fine? Negative 36 so, is the coldest I've ever picked them up. Negative 36. Wow. Because they, um, they you guys call them Alaska boxes, but I, I remember... Um, back a few years ago when you guys first came out with them, you know, we were talking and you said, Hey, if, can we try these boxes on you and you give us some feedback and, and, uh, mm -hmm. check the ch temperatures of these boxes when they come in and stuff, because we're 200 miles, uh, south of the Canadian border and you also ship to Canada, correct? Right. And you guys were wanted to ship up to Canada and Alaska with these boxes and stuff. And, and I will say they're probably about two to two and a half inches thick. And they are big boxes, and they hold a lot of fish. And, of course, when you have that much water in there, plus the heat packs and that uh, large box, they come in pretty toasty warm. Um, but negative 36, I came home uh, last winter with three or four of those boxes in my vehicle. 
And to give you a little more background of what the conditions we deal with, so how that works from Florida, they have the special company. I won't give their their name. It rhymes with Schmelta, and <laughs> they uh, <laughs> they fly to Minneapolis. Minneapolis does not have an indoor freight, so they get to sit in either just an open-ended warehouse or outside. Yeah, they are before terrible. they get picked up and then flown to um, Fargo. So there are exceptions where, of course, they've sat outside for overnight, and that heat packs aren't going to cover it. But for just the drop-off, they'll sit outside, get picked up, flown to Fargo right away, and we have no issues. And that's in these uh, really cold climates. And, and and it's it's a real tough because when it's they're going from eighty degrees at Julie's place in January to us where it's thirty below. I mean, they have to pack them. They have to get them out quick and get them on on the airplane quick, or else they'll overheat from the heat packs. So right. it's it, it's a whole lot of. I mean, every time we talk it's and do an order, act. one of the first questions Julie says is, "Is it cold up there?" And I just laugh at her and go, "Yeah, it's always cold up here." Well, we have to know these things. Because, yeah, the spring and the fall are the hardest times to ship because it's 90 degrees here and, you know, 35 everywhere else. And, and talking about, about the fall and spring, um, I personally really like getting uh, a lot of my fish in the fall because that seems to when I get the much brighter, larger tetras, barbs and things because that's after they've had a nice season of, of sitting in the ponds in Florida – that's when you guys uh-huh. usually get, you know, I'll order a, a medium tiger barb and I'll actually get like a large tiger barb because their mediums are that big. Yeah, they're running really big right now. Are they again? Yes. Might have to order some next week. There we go. So just to give a little more clarity on the box itself, the heat packs, uh, after a lot of trial and error and practice, you guys have this, uh, I thought it was an ingenious way, a really low cost way for shipping is you take a heat pack mm-hmm. and they actually layer them on paper plates. So number one, it's not a direct heat pad against a bag. And two, it can space out the heat better in the, the box. So you can stick it on top with a paper plate or layer it between the bags if it's that cold. And We've those- actually gotten a little bit better and they actually have one side that is sticky. So we actually affix them to the lids so they hang from the lids. Yeah, because the problem with heat packs is if they get wet, and there's always a bag that has one pinhole in it, if those heat packs uh-huh. get wet, they don't work. Nope. And so you got to keep them up on top. And, of course, the airline that rhymes with Smelta, um, <laughs> they basically just drop kick these things off to the airplane and spin them oh. around. And, and, I mean, I've had boxes come off that have been so damaged, I'm thinking everything in here is going to be dead, but yet they're still alive. So we should do a bonus podcast just for the About sake Smelta? of therapy, um, just you know, crap talking airlines because <laughs> we we all collectively yeah. have so many stories of you know customer service, <sighs> what they've done to fish, what they've done to people in line. It, it's mind boggling of what what's happened. So oh yeah, the uh, we're gonna have a schmelta day. A schmelta day. I, I want to say something really quick, um, Julie. Let's go back a, quite a few years ago. When 9-11 happened, let's talk about that for a second. When 9-11 oh, happened, this is something that had unprecedented, never happened before. All the airlines got grounded that day on 9-11. And I had probably about a $1,200 shipment of fish that got, I think I ended up in Davenport, Iowa or some darn place. But everything got sent down. Why don't you talk a little bit about that nightmare? Uh, it was a nightmare. Yeah, they, they pretty much grounded all the planes. Wherever they were, they were told to land. And we were struggling to 
find out where our shipments were and um, if we couldn't get them to their final destination to see if we could find uh, customers willing to go and pick them up. And thankfully, we actually did get most of them situated. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, mine was one that uh, it was nowhere near me that I could drive to go get them. And I think you guys right. were able to get them picked back up and brought back to Seagrist. But, you know, there again, it's just pe people always go, oh, this, I want to start a pet store and it's going to be easy. It's not easy, oh, no. folks. No, it's it, not easy. It's not easy at all. So um, if, they, if they, I tell new stores that if you can make it two years, you've got a chance. Exactly. But those first two years are, they're the hardest two years you'll ever face. I've wasted more time sitting at, at the airport. Um, the, I call it the trickle-down effect. You know, just because the weather here is beautiful doesn't mean that between here and Florida, there wasn't a huge storm in Colorado. There wasn't a thunderstorm that grounded an airplane. There wasn't a mechanical issue. There wasn't some psycho on the airplane that that yelled something that they had to ground it. And so every Grandma day, didn't have indigestion. Right. It, you never know what's going to happen. And just when you think that those... Oh, no, since 9-11, the pilots can decide how much freight they carry. If they don't want to carry freight, they don't have to. Are you serious? Oh, really? I'm serious. I did not know that. If, yeah, because we have most of our our uh, transfers go through Atlanta, and we've actually had problems with, I believe it is a Schmelta airline pilot <laughs> that is refusing freight every Thursday morning. So, yes, we've had that problem. Yeah, it's just, it's just never-ending the amount of things that can happen, and just when you think you got it figured out, somebody changes the rules every single time. The only, uh -huh. thing, the only thing Schmelta can can move quickly, and I've said this before on different podcasts, is um, deceased bodies, human remains. They call them HRs. And when Grandpa, yeah. when grandpa passes away in Arizona and needs to be flown back to Minnesota, um, nobody wants a dead body in their back room. And so they can move those quickly. But your fish can sit uh, you know, in Atlanta for hours on end or maybe even overnight. And they we're third in line. Yeah, third in line. Dead bodies, flowers, and then fish. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And that's before passenger luggage. And uh, mm -hmm. and what's amazing is that those airlines also, when I go to the airport, there's always somebody there dropping off organs, you know, like um, a heart or, or something that's going to go, and they'll come rushing in. And that's the only people that they'll actually help out quickly because they'll get those on an airplane and get them sent somewhere for, you know, when somebody passes away and, and they donate their heart or their kidneys or whatever may be, so. And it's not that we're, you know, complaining about, uh, you know, their, their priorities because it seems like an organ's going to be top of the list, right. but there's there's some ridiculous ones, so bonus podcast coming. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> right. Thank you, Schmelta. Thank you, Schmelta. And Abidui Airlines. Which runs? Northeast. Northeast. Yeah, Northeast. Yeah, all those. There you go. Watch, there's going to be actually one called Northeast. Yeah. So a, a couple more things uh, about uh, a Seagrass. So again, you guys are really unique. You can ship out to different uh, different uh, pet stores, doing smaller orders, so they don't have to get you know five hundred or a hundred of this. And your day to day basis is dealing with again direct to the pet stores, you know wholesalers like uh, Jimmy. And you know really what uh, what makes you guys besides those points and your just sheer selection, you know what makes Seagrass different. I think it's mostly the customer service now because we're still required to talk to all of our customers at least once a month 
Um, where some places I'm hearing now, they don't even have like real live salespeople. You do your orders online and you, that's it. And then we do the special request, like they were saying, of course, we're always trying to find new and different fish and um, just we go the extra mile. So I've had a couple of questions uh, that have came in when we we're talking about the industry. And a lot of them had to do with because either people were, you know, had a basement full of fish and they're trying to either see if they want to open a store, or doing the research to see what it would take. And um, a lot of them was, you know, what's the guarantee on fish? So from Seagrass's point of view, you know, how do you guys handle, you know, bad shipments? What's, uh, what would be your guarantee? Well, guarantee is not really written in stone. Um, we guarantee live arrival on paperwork. So anything that comes in dead, um, they actually do a cash credit, or, but it is minus the value of free fish that we send out on orders. So every order that you place that's freshwater, we actually send you a free bag of fish. Usually these are something new, different, something you never ordered, something really cool and interesting for you to try out to see if you can, if your customer base likes it, something you can sell, something you can move and make money off of. Um, now that's a, definitely a unique see, piece because I've uh, talked to yeah. some other, you know, smaller and farmers. I don't see a whole lot of just, you know, random stuff coming in that they'll give you a free bag of, uh, here, try this, let us know how you like it. Yeah. Um, so if you get a shipment and... You're going to have a few losses. I mean, this is livestock. It happens. And usually the free fish will cover those losses so nobody worries about anything. But in those instances where, you know, Schmelta leaves it on the tarmac for a day and a half and your shipment comes in and most of it is dead, um, we will usually work with you to get those taken care of because um, we don't want to see anybody, you know, get hurt. And to lose a whole entire shipment of fish is not good. So as long as they're, you know, you let us know what's going on, you let us know what happens, we'll work with you on pretty much anything. And you've always worked with it with me, and um, I want to, I don't want to say many times, but a few times I've gotten in some larger plecos, and those darn things will put their um, fins through the bag, and you'll have a flat bag. Mm-hmm. And I've I've, yep. call, I've called Julie and say I had a flat bag, and she goes, no problem. It's that simple. We're actually shipping those large plecos in plastic boxes inside the bags now. No kidding. Ooh. I did not know that, that. To keep them from doing that, yes, we are. Now I need to get more plecos. That's right. Now, innovation-wise, I know we've talked about this before. You guys, for a long time, tried to figure out a way to reuse fish boxes. Have you ever come across anything that would work? I mean, because when people don't realize that, yeah, the cost of the fish might be 50 cents. It's going to cost you another quarter to get that particular fish here. And then you're going to have to a box charge. You're going to have a heat pack charge. You might have a cold pack charge. Um, I'm not kidding you when I say I probably had three, 400 boxes at $4 a piece in my warehouse. And, you know, we've always talked about, geez, I wish I could get these, uh, reuse these and get them back to you. And I know one time you guys were working on something like that. Have you ever come across anything that were anybody's getting that to work? No, we haven't really figured out anything. We try and get our customers to actually reuse them with their customers because what a lot of the bottom line customer doesn't realize is when you put that, you go in, you get your fish, you put them in the bag, you put them in the car. If it's sunny out and it doesn't matter if it's 35 degrees or 90 degrees, but if it's sunny out, that bag actually acts like a greenhouse and can cook that fish before you get home. So if you reuse the styrofoam boxes at the store level for your customers, 
that's one less opportunity for the for a bad outcome. Yeah, and those boxes are great for storage and whatnot also. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I just recently those had... Those big ones are good for coolers. I use them for coolers. You put What, do you put beer in there? Of course. All right. I say I use them for tubing because they float really nice. Yeah. And uh, I think, Jimmy, what we got to do, because we have a collection of these things. Next year, that we have one of the largest country music festivals in the nation called WeFest close by us. Right? With thousands of people mm-hmm. come. That's what we should do. Just go over there and sell them. We should just box it up. Just coolers of ice. That's what we need there to do. Clean go. these things out. Put ice in them. There you go. You know, Julie winning. Was, exactly, winning. Julie was just saying about about the uh, uh, fish overheating, you know, in the bag sitting on the seat as you're driving your 10 miles home or your 20 miles home. Twice this summer, um, one of the stores that I own, uh, we sold somebody 100 crickets, and they put the 100 crickets in a bag, they put the bag on, and they were dead within two blocks because it, when it's 90 degrees out and the sun comes through, it just fried those little things. I'm, uh, so Yep. And so, you know, we try to educate people. We try to say, you know, put them in a bag, put them on the floor. And we every once in a while, we get somebody coming back saying, yeah, they're all dead. I don't know what happened. Very frustrating. Yes, it is. So, Julie, other than just fish, you know, we talked about plants a little bit, again, saltwater species. What other stuff do you guys, uh, you know, offer at Seagrass? Uh, we are starting to offer natural decorations like uh, spiderwood, uh, different roots, um, some of the rocks. Um, so we are since, uh, I'm sure you guys know central bought us a couple of years ago. So they're giving us more of an opportunity to expand and broaden our horizons. So, um, we're hoping to be able to carry even more stuff in the future. Cause we're looking at a food line, a tropical fish food line. And I think there might even be a medication line that we're going to start carrying. That would be interesting. Cause yeah, we, I don't know if you ever remember Chem Aqua that used to be around, and, and I used to get all my, my meds for my fish there, and, and they had a catalog, which we just found from 1996 the other night. Um, it's hard to to treat a fish if you don't have the uh, knowledge or maybe some paperwork to look at. It's just impossible, but it, and it's hard to find decent medicine that's not, you know, for 10 gallons in a capsule at Walmart. Right, so you can actually get bulk supply because if you have, you know, um, 80 tanks plus mm-hmm. what, are, what are you going to do you're going to get you know ten dollar bottle that'll supply four of your tanks that probably not going to work for you right. you want a gallon of this right. stuff and you also have some um don't you do like ph meters and and stuff like that too yeah we have uh ph and tds meters uh because we're really big on the tds and freshwater because that's another thing um with our fish, you've seen how stocked those tanks are. They are full. Uh, we actually run chillers on our aquariums, so it helps slow the metabolism down for the fish because it's cold water. They're cold-blooded. Um, but we also keep them at a higher level of salt than what they would naturally be at. So we recommend to people to keep the salt level up a little bit higher when these fish first come in or the TDS up a little bit higher just to help them with the stress from the shipping and the handling. And that is so true with the guppies that, that I get from you. And once I started listening to you, I had some, so much great success with your guppies. Um, mm-hmm. be, before, with, without keeping um, a little extra salt in that tank. And what do you recommend? How, like one or two teaspoons per gallon? No, it's actually a cup of salt per 10 gallon. Holy cow. That is it's a, a lot of salt, but it's only initial. Okay. As you do your water changes and stuff, you don't add the salt back. So if I got a 10-gallon tank, I throw in a, a cup of salt, 
And as I do yep. water changes, the salinity just slowly goes down. So you start with Gatorade yep. and you work your way to Purell. There we go. Right. There you go. Perfect. Do you use just regular water softener salt or do you use like saltwater salt? Because for brackish water, I'd always use saltwater salt to mix my brackish water. Yeah, that's usually what I recommend is for brackish water to use a marine salt. Um, for fresh water, any aquarium salt is fine. So some of the other products that you offer, again, because your guys' whole market is to help either, you know, wholesalers or fish stores. So you guys have, like, the whole whole pack. I've been looking through. You guys have, you know, a certain size of beta, uh, beta cups. You guys have bag supplies. You guys have, mm-hmm. you know, rubber bands. It's it, all the little things that you'd think of for your uh, fish store. You really guys do do well in bulk that I can find, even your own um, biological bacteria in a bottle. Oh, I love that stuff. Oh, yes. Yes. That is actually the same bacteria that our fish farmers use, and it's if you buy it by the gallon, I think it's over like two hundred dollars. So we offer it to our customers at a discount just to help them out with their systems, our um, new systems, or if they're redoing systems, and it works really, really well. So out of all the biological bacteria that I've used, besides just using like an old filter, because that's always a great method, this stuff is mm-hmm. really condensed. You get it in, and it's you know dark, dark green, and the requirements that you guys send with them is keep it in your fridge. Right. How long does that last in the fridge in? Is it a 30-day or so, or how long is that, Julie? I know there's several different kinds that you have. How many different varieties do you have of that? It's actually all the same variety. They just have it at different strengths. Oh, okay. I didn't know um, that. Yeah. They just do that mainly to help um, stores out to try and figure out what they want to do. If they want to set up new systems, that's the strongest dose. If they want to just do a big water change and they just need some to help boost it, that's like a middle dose. And then there's just like a regular maintenance dose. Because I just recently bought some from you here about a month ago again. And I've got shrimp tanks. And I keep about 200 shrimp per 20-gallon tank. It's pretty crowded. have a matten filter. Mm-hmm on the back and that helped me out tremendously i my water cleared up and um the shrimp are doing well and i've got tons and tons of little babies right now cool the other uh the other items that uh, we can uh remember off the top of our head is also you guys have a lot of educational material so one of the things that pet stores use is the um comparison compatibility chart compatibility posters so when i'm talking to uh you guys in the past, you know, you guys made certain recommendations, but where does that com- uh, compatibility chart come from? I'm assuming you're ichthyologist. Actually, it was upper senior management and our ichthyologist. We all worked on it together. It took them like six months to get that together. I've got one of those on display at my store. Yes, it is very good. In fact, I think that's one of the few posters that we're going to keep in stock because they're talking about getting rid of... Uh, a lot of the books that we carry and stuff because everybody's going to computer and digital. See, I'm, so. I'm old and I still like books. I like to have it, hold them in my hand. You know, Rob gives me some yes. crap about, uh, I, I love Amazonas magazine and, uh, I get it digitally also. And I give it to him digitally and he goes, well, why wouldn't you want it digitally? I said, well, I, I like holding that in my hand. Just like I like buying music and holding that album in my hand so I can look at the liner notes and things like that because I'm a big music fan, mm-hmm. as, as everybody knows, and stuff. And so it's just, um, I think it's because of my age that, that I like that. Uh, I like having the books. I know Adam likes having the books, too. 
So yeah, for- I'm not that, I'm not that old, and I like the books. I collect the old books, especially because that has all kinds of stuff in them that you don't know about. Right. Yeah. So just to paint you guys a picture, just for the listeners, um, Adam and uh, Jimmy both have like you know these hip holster phone things. So just to give you an idea of what a luddite they I are, I do not have a hip holster phone. <laughs> I do, and my kids call it my old man holster, and then I punch them in the throat. I just. <laughs> But they're adults. They can take it. I just wonder, what situation do you need that you have to have it on your side? Like, wha? Well, I was kind of hoping that that uh, it would help. My, uh, when I go to rock concerts, I'd like to drink beer. And I always like to think that this radiation on my hip will help my kidneys function better. So when I'm <laughs> drinking beer, you know. Or maybe I'll when I go to the bathroom, it glows in the dark. I don't know. Uncle Jimmy, is that your pacemaker? Yeah. But, you know, so many people give me crud about, about my holster, but... but I've not. I broke one phone in my entire life. How'd you break that? It came out of my holster. Did your giant catfish <laughs> eat it? <laughs> no, my giant catfish did not eat it. But you know, my my, uh, my kids, my wife have all dropped phones. Uh, that uh, my wife, uh, I think I can say this. She has a kind of a Jennifer Lopez butt, and she puts her phone in her back pocket. It, yeah, as she walks away. Her phone just swings back and forth with her, her little behind, and it, it just pops out of her back pocket and lands on the floor. And I go, why don't you put it, you know, in a holster? She goes, because I'm not old like you. <laughs> See, I just have mine in an OtterBox, and that works awesome. I've dropped yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, my OtterBox works great for mine. I, yep. Is that, I, when you say this Otter, podcast is now sponsored by OtterBox. I was going to say, <laughs> and that just when you said OtterBox, it just sounds dirty. I don't even want one of those. It just sounds Filthy, you pigs, I tell you. I'm joking. It's not sponsored, but Otterbox, call us. We'd love the sponsorship. <laughs> and, yes. There you go. And uh, you know what? We, we could also use a sponsorship from Dairy Queen, just because I like Dairy Queen and ice cream. So, Julia, yes. I think we got a, a nice picture of what you guys offer at Seagrass. We got a little picture of, you know, really what goes on and at what scale. You really, the boxes, the amount of fish, and we appreciate the, the time you had, but... You know, before we uh, begin to wrap this up, there's, you know, dying questions I have. So what are some of the, you know, most popular selling fish besides the bread and butter stock? When I say bread and butter, like guppies, you know, platy, stuff like that. It usually comes and goes in stages. Like right now, the biggest sellers are anything nano, like toucan tetras and ember tetras. And uh, we have dwarf crawfish, the fancy dwarf shrimp. All those are really big sellers right now. But, you know, in a couple of months, it could be cichlids again. It just, it comes and goes in waves. So during this wave, what's some of the more unique pieces, just to name a couple off the top of your head, that you just normally don't see that you guys have in right now? Well, I had them in last week. We had red-striped chameleon tetras. Those were really cool. I have never uh, heard of there's them. A, yeah, there's a red spot splash tetra. Um, and splash tetras actually got their name because they laid their eggs on leaves above the water. And they'll take turns splashing them. It's really cool. Now that's a YouTube uh, video worth in, happening. And yeah, uh, those were in last week, and we got in some wild black neon tetras last week. Those were really sweet. Um, so, one of our local farms is raising black German rams, which are coming in phenomenal. And let's see what else. Oh, we got in. Um, remember the parrot convict cichlids I talked to you guys into buying? Yes. We actually have a snow white version now. Ooh, pretty. Yeah, it just came in this week. And uh, my wife often makes you get her hyphen 511s, correct? That's what, what yes. Jen usually makes you get. And how often do you guys get those in? Those are beautiful fish. Um, well, actually, the problem with those was um, 
a few of our farms got wiped out from the two cold snaps we had last year. Did it get down to 70? Um, yeah, it got actually down to freezing. Can you believe that? Um, you realize freezing 32 it, degrees, right? Hell froze over. <laughs> yes. Hell did freeze over. Well, see, the problem is here in Florida, we don't have freezing weather every winter. And our farmers did not prepare for it and did not cover the ponds. So a couple of them got hit pretty hard. But he is back up and running, and we've had the HY511s now for two months. Oh, you have? They okay. should stay in stock. Time, yeah. to get, time to get Gen Gen some more. So, mm-hmm. Some of the more unique pieces that I've seen you have that I really can't find anywhere else are wild green neon Tetris. Oh, I love those. So yes. do you, you guys still have those, right? Yes. Excellent. That and do you guys ever get in um, panda loaches? Yes, I have one on my tank in my desk right now. Perfect. So uh, the reason I bring that up is, number one, they're hard to find. And they were yes. recently discovered in uh, 2007. I'm trying to remember the top of my head. They were brought to the aquarium trade around 2011. And uh, I think you guys were able to get them in pretty much right away during that time. And the reason mm-hmm. that I say this is because that nano spike, they complement shrimp so well. They're beautiful yes, they black and white color, so those are listening, especially with this nano craze that you're talking about. Certainly look in, uh, look into those and you know, convince your pet store to, to get some. Yeah, those and any of the long fin quarry cats that stay small like the long fin green Aeneas, there's a long fin panda, there's a long fin Julii panda hybrid. Those are really awesome. Now, are those, uh, the pandas and stuff, are those raised locally or are those an import item? Um... The Aeneas and the Paleotis are local. The other ones are import. So a long time ago, um, Jimmy uh, told me a story, right, um, about uh, some Placos. And he said that you guys had this monster show Placo, some blue phantom Placo, because I was looking and trying to purchase myself some phantom Blue eye Placo. That's what it was. Yeah. And the reason I say this is because most of your stock, again, has that 10-day cycle. But um. when we were there, we were visiting, and we saw this, again, it was really a show quality this thing was huge in one of your tanks and apparently you guys use that for educational purposes i was told in the past they uh, bring it to different shows and uh uh-huh. do you guys still have that one giant awesome old blue playco no we have found him a home darn he actually went into one of the aquariums and if i remember right i mean blue-eyed plecos i was able to get blue-eyed plecos not you know 15 years ago they're very hard to get now, yeah they actually they um they were very easy to get about 15 17 years ago i have been told and i do not know this for sure but um the river they came from was contaminated and they actually thought they were extinct it wasn't until about five seven years ago that they started coming back and they're still not back in a, a commercial quantity. We only get them maybe two or three times a year. But they are so freaking gorgeous. They have this robin egg blue eye. And mm-hmm. they are just gorgeous. And I used to sell the snot out of them when I was able to get them. I mean, that was back in the day, too, when I could get a zebra pleco for, you know, 40 bucks. Oh, I miss zebra plecos. <laughs> we we have like 50 of them right now. Ooh. <sighs> on so, sale. 
on sale. So I won't talk Ooh. about uh, won't talk about prices for the next question because again, prices change uh, all the time. But what yes. are your like either most expensive or couple most expensive fish that you guys offer at Seagrass? Robbie's red-tailed catfish is hungry. No, <laughs> <laughs> bite me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Second, freshwater or saltwater? Let's say freshwater right now. One of both. Is probably the zebra pikes that we're bringing in. What the hell? Um, is or that? the albino arowana. Um. Oh no! Are the black gar? I have black gar in right now. Those are pretty pricey. Wow. And you're talking hundreds yeah. of dollars for black gar? Yes. What size are they? Uh, 10, 12 inches. So they're a large fish. So. Yes, big fish. I've only seen one um, black gar, and that was actually in a, I think it was the, no, it wasn't Boston Aquarium. I can't remember now. I was traveling, and uh, one of the aquariums I went to had one, and I've, I've only seen them on YouTube ever since. So that's, uh, that's pretty astounding. But what, what about saltwater? Saltwater is probably like the gym tangs. Achilles tangs have gone through the roof with all the rules in Hawaii. Uh Oh, I've got a black and white leucistic grouper that's looking for a home, but his price tag is keeping him there. <clears throat> a grouper? Yes, I have a black and white leucistic bumblebee grouper. What's leucistic? To explain that to people. Lacking all but black pigment. It's like almost an albino, except it has black in it. So none so of the like pink eyes. Piebald? Yeah, like a piebald. Okay. And when you guys are talking piebald, you're talking snakes, correct? Yes. Reptile people, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> I worked for a reptile company for four years, too, okay, guys? I know, that's why I was hammering on you. So, last two questions. Number one, it's not really a question. I have a, I have a favor to ask of you. Next time Jim orders, can you just do me a favor and slip a tarantula in the box for us? Yeah, except <sighs> that the reptiles are a state away, dear. Oh, a state away? Yes. Oh. We're actually shipping those out of our sister company. I'm so sad. Now we'll, we'll we'll talk after uh, offline. <laughs> I know where they come Jimmy. from. Yeah, I just I just got a shipment of yeah. reptiles in last week. Yep, so, you know. I know where they come from. We'll we'll have to we'll have to work out what we can prank Jimmy with. But you know, is there any other things that uh, you felt we uh, we missed with the uh, with the topics and interview? I think we got a, a at least an overview. I know we're going to get a lot of questions after this, and we'll certainly follow up with you. Yeah, we'll probably. But just one thing I wanted to finish up with. Um, because you were talking about the balloon and the chain of how everything leaves. Yes. Um, UPS actually parks one of their semi-trucks at our back door every day. And it gets filled up. And depending upon the time of year, we either have another semi-truck pull up or we have two or three of their little brown trucks pull up. And then we have two box trucks that do airports out of Tampa and Orlando. And then we have two delivery trucks that run weekly or every day of the week tuesday wednesday thursday and friday and and if i remember right you guys are one of the largest shippers of ups in the state of florida correct we are their largest hundred weight shipper i believe in the southeast in the southeast i i i was there one time uh right before christmas when everybody was trying to get in their last shipment and there was Uh there was two full-size 53 foot trailers uh, that UPS had backed up, and people were scrambling like there was a tornado coming. And mm-hmm. like you said, those other UPS trucks were backing up too, and I'm just going, how is this controlled chaos even work? 
but it works. And um, yeah, Seagrass will, will ship it to you UPS to your door, which I tell you what, if you don't want to deal with Smelta, that is the way to go. It's a little bit more money, but they, UPS is reliable. They'll get it to your door. And um, it is a guaranteed service, guaranteed so, yes. service. And you don't have to run to the airport. And I don't know about you, but, but if, if your time's free, your gas is free and you want to go spend three hours driving to the airport, waiting at the airport and getting back uh, with smashed boxes with UPS, my boxes have always come in in really good shape. So you guys, sh- mm-hmm. you, you guys ship um, locally. How far do you guys go locally with your, with your uh, trucks, Jewel? I know you go up to Georgia. We go um, up to Georgia and down to Miami. So that's a pretty good swat because you are located near Tampa in a small town called Gibsonton, correct? Yes. And so Carney town, where all the carnival people live. Okay. That explains a lot. Now all the, all the (laughs) carnies, you know, up, up here, I don't know if Rob's, if you ever played this game, I heard it on the radio the other day, have not done it, but they said that, that, you know, every time you, you see the news, and something crazy has happened, you know, like some clowns riding, you know, a bicycle naked through an old folks home or something. Every time something crazy like that happens, it's from Florida. So now I understand that you can type in any date, like your birthday, and just put in Florida, and it'll bring up some crazy, crazy thing. I got to give that a go. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because in Florida, a lot of people stand out in the sun too long, and I think it goes right to their head. I'm not sure. Well, I, I blame the cocaine. The, the cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> so one off-track story before we go. Yes. The best Florida story I've ever heard, and yes. I don't know how how close this was to uh, Julie. I hope not. I, I'm pretty sure it was Miami. They had the, um, yeah, it was, the Miami Zombies. So apparently during the bath salt craze, because people figured out that they could actually use bath salts as drugs, they had a few people that got super high out of their mind and were chasing people down streets, and apparently one guy passed out and they caught someone ripping apart someone's skull and I remember that trying to eat their brains. Yes. It was a horrible, horrible story. They tried to talk to the person, make him stop immediately to try to save the person uh, the person he was quote unquote attacking. And they just had to, he wasn't responding. They had to straight shoot him. So ever since then, uh, that summer at least, people were freaked out that there was actual zombies. But all they tested for was bath salts. So they had some kid that uh, had a terrible sense of humor and decided that he was going to dress himself up with uh, movie uh, theater quality people and dress himself up as a zombie and chase people around Miami. Only in Florida. Only in Florida. And then what happened to him? Uh, he almost got shot. <laughs> he did. Oh. He they have it on video. Like the guy pulled out a uh, gun on him. Like just crazed people reaction because they actually the believe zombie. Person. What's that? Orlando had the clown person. Oh, I've not heard. Tell had me about some guy. There was some guy dressing up as a clown that would just stand in certain areas and then like disappear. Nope, dead. He didn't do anything, but he nope. would like just scare people. Nope, dead. <laughs> Adam Adam has a he's he's got a clown phobia. Well, see, that's yeah. why they shoot movies in Georgia because they can't do it in Florida because people think it's real. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I've driven a lot in Florida, and most people there are on drugs. I swear something. to God, something. I mean, yes. I, I, uh, Jen and I just recently, uh, we were down there a couple of years ago, and we drove from Tampa down to Key Largo and Key West. We we did the whole thing. And we, we were driving in our, I cannot tell you, this crazy car was called a Yari. It was about the size of a box. 
and it was the most horrible car I've ever rented in my life. And I'm driving this thing at, at 86, 88 miles an hour going through Miami, and I people were mad at me because I was going too slow at 86 miles yeah. an hour. But the Yari, that's as fast as it would go. It's floored. And every time I hit a bump, the back window would roll down about a half an inch. But actually, the car was so small, I could reach back and roll up the window. And uh, oh we went down down there um, and stayed in Key Largo and stuff. And, and my only hope was I was hoping somebody would steal this car so I could get a different one. But, uh, yeah, the people drive, down, drive like they're nuts down there. And I thought Minneapolis was bad, but oh. that was wrong. Well, Julie, I appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast. And for those that are listening that either own a pet store or some other dis- uh, distribution wholesalers, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, they can either go to our website, SegrisFarms.com, click on where it says Pep Shops Only, and fill that form in if they're not already a customer. Or they can just call us. It's 1-800-237-9317. And what or of you, course, you could email me at juliasecretsfarms.com. And your, um, what's your your number at your desk there? Is it one two four nine? My extension is one two four nine. Ah, there we go. So call Julie directly. Tell her hi. Give her some love. Tell me hi. <laughs> oh boy! Now we started it. Everybody's gonna get some love. Yeah. Well, I just like, <laughs> I, I harass Julie on a twice weekly basis, even though I'm not buying fish every week. Um, but she goes out and gets me a lot of cool stuff. Um, she, I had some of the coolest, uh, guppies here about a year ago that looked like a Dalmatian and I'm still waiting for her to get me some more, but, uh, we were, Oh, the black cobras. Those were beautiful. Yeah. And I just, we were pulling up the other day, we pulled up on the internet rarest guppies and that was the first one that popped up and I'm going, I still need more of those. And if, if that's, but you know what the problem with them is, is they can't get them to breed true. Really, they are the most gorgeous yep. guppies, and um, well, I got some feeder guppies from Adam. We can make sure oh, they are not feeder guppies. Oh, he's jeez. <laughs> a- Adam raises these feeder guppies and he calls them what's he call them? Endlers, something like he that. He calls them endlers, yeah. and actually, there is a lot of people that love those endlers. Are they all? Ha, are, are they all in southern Minnesota? No, no, they're like all over the place. So, do you sell? Especially in Miami. I'm not sure about that. See, it's a contagious disease called window licking. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you really sell those? And is there any difference between feeder guppies and these things? I no, mean, there is. There actually is. There's several different varieties. And if you get into the really colorful ones, they are awesome. Yeah, Adam Adam just loves these things. We make fun of him, and rightly so, because they look like feeder guppies. But Well, perfect. Okay, uh, Mine are like as pure of a strain as you're ever going to find. Everybody likes them, and I never give them away to anybody except for like two people. And now you guys just make fun of me constantly. Hey, it's the meme of the show, sir. <laughs> it's the meme okay, of the show. Okay, so I know what Jim's next three free fish will be is some type oh, of. Oh, God. Yes. Do not Thank give you. me any of those damn. Adam, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take the fish out and put them in an envelope and mail them to you. So make sure when you call Julie to uh, let you know that uh, you heard uh, about uh, her from the Aquarium Guys podcast, and she'll send a free feeder guppy in your order. (laughs) There you go. I hate you so much. Awesome. So you heard it here first. Well, again, thank you, Julie. Uh, Hopefully we'll have you on uh, again. I know we're going to have a lot of responses from uh, listeners. We get a a lot of different questions in, and hopefully we can uh, address those. We'll be be in touch. But uh, before we go, Adam, what is... The, this uh, episode's, you know, fish of the fish of the show. 
Okay, this Farlowella. Yeah, Farlowellas are Farlowella. Farlowellas. La 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 la. <laughs> um, they're also known as like the twig or whiftail cat. Adam's sick. You're gonna gonna have to. Adam's look. gonna feed him to a red tailed catfish. Start over, Adam. Yeah, we're we're heckling yeah. him. We're, we're, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. We're, okay, it's unprofessional sorry. of Julie. <laughs> Julie. <laughs> Okay, the this this episode's fish is Farallowellas, and there's 29 different kinds. They're also known as the twig or whiptail catfish. Um, there's a variant known as like the king Farallowella or Farallowella. The lart they're really big. They get like eight to twelve inches. Most of the time, if you ask for them, they'll get you the kind that gets like six to eight inches. Try to order like six to eight of them at a time all at the same time because there's so many different kinds and they will actually breed in captivity. Uh, one of my friends bred them and then I've also bred them. And the way that you can sex them is the males have a longer nose and it's a little bit wider and it's really covered with hairy bristles and they will, f um, they'll, they're good for community tanks, but they like the driftwood. They like rocks to attach to. Um, they like the water a little bit cleaner and a little clearer but they will go good with discus and angelfish if you're okay with them attaching and sucking the slime off the bodies <laughs> not good not good not good but they will not i mean bad. you can do it but it's probably not recommended they eat pretty much anything um i've had them eat algae frozen bloodworms uh live glassworms brine shrimp cucumbers zucchini kind of all that stuff and what's really cool is the male actually takes care. So the male and the female, when the, they lay their eggs at night, um, usually around dusk time, and you have to set their your light to a certain wavelength. You know, set I set mine to the natural Minnesota weather or the the night schedule. Eternal. And darkness. they would, huh? Eternal darkness. We call that. Well, I gave them like ten and twelve hours, or twelve hours of ten to twelve hours of light. And then some darkness, and I did a big water change. And they laid eggs right around dusk. And they, it was really cool is that the when the eggs hatch after like 6 to 12 days, 6 to 14 days, they look like the parents. They look like miniature little Farallowellas. And the male guards the eggs. He fans them, keeps the water moving. He defends them from anything that wants to come and take care, attack them. But they're just a really cool fish that you don't really see, but you can kind of see. But they have a lot of neat little behaviors that, you know, are really cool to look at. So, so that's the fish of the week. A couple pieces to add to this. Like uh, Adam said, they again, they love clean water, but not to be mistaken with tannins. They love wood. Um, so certainly encourage that. Tannin doesn't necessarily dirty up the water. It just adds a, a slight tinge of brown to it. So certainly add that to them. Um, I, I've had the same deal with food. They do hit algae wafers really well. And, uh, you know, I believe, Adam, you were telling me that you had really good success breeding them, um, playing exclusive boys to men two feet from the tank. Oh, yeah, that's a definite. Definite. It's not um, Marvin Gaye. I'll Gay. make love to you is their favorite song. Yes. Yeah. I'll make love to you. So, Julie, what, what do you guys sell in the Farewell market? Oh, we got a lot. We got the Whiptail. We got the Farlowella. Right now, I've got a green dwarf, Floricaria. I've got a giant black and white. I think it's a pseudo-Loricaria, though. I'm not sure. Also, isn't this but, part yeah. of the Project Pieva? 
Yeah, I believe so, because I believe that's where the green dwarf ones came from. Perfect. See, Even ethical pick. Ones. Are those a hybrid or are those are um, something that is... I would have to check into it because this is the first time we've had them, so I haven't had a chance to research them yet. And do you guys do the Royal Farewella? Yes. That's one of my favorites. I got Antenna Loricaria, and I've got Circular Loricaria right now. So, yeah, I've got quite a few of them right now. So if you want to give these a try, give Julie a call tomorrow or the next day. She's there Monday through Friday. <laughs> yes. Here's the hours Monday that we need to hound her. Monday through Thursday. Monday through Friday Thursday. Friday I am there, but Friday is usually paperwork. Paperwork and day. And, and, uh, yeah. and uh, you are on Eastern time? Yes. So like from Minnesota here, you're always one hour ahead of us. So I always have to remember that when I'm talking and calling. You don't answer the phone if you're not there. I found that out. Oh, who knew? No, actually, they, they have figured out a way for me to forward my phone to my cell phone now. So well, I, I have oh, no. always have to answer the phone. I have your cell phone, and right now I'll give it out to everybody. Hold on. And no. that's where we cut the episode. <laughs> Thank you so much, Julie, for uh, joining the show. Guys, share this podcast with a friend. At least two this week. This uh, Your responses have been overwhelming. You need help, go to our website, AquariumGuysPodcast.com. Got ways to contact you. Discord, call us, email, whatever's comfortable for you. Thanks again, and let's kick that outro. Thanks, guys, for listening to this podcast. Please visit us at AquariumGuysPodcast.com and listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. We're practically Thanks. everywhere. We're on Google. I mean, just go to your favorite place, Pocket Casts, subscribe to make sure it gets push notifications directly to your phone. Otherwise, Jim will be crying in his sleep. Can, can I listen to it in the in my treehouse? In your treehouse, in your fish room, even alone at work. What about at my man cave? Especially your man cave. Yeah. Only if Adam's there. No. With feeder guppies. No. No. They're endless. You midget loving sucking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs> Later.